what was going through my head at that time. I do not know. I was drinking, just trying to take the pain away. It's tough, man. And Lingard! Absolutely fantastic! Jesse Lingard missed to perfection! Hey, that's football. With club like Man United, obviously it's so big. They can have that control over you. But people have a voice. Jesse, he asked if we could give him a couple of days off. When things are getting said about you, that's not true. You're going to voice your opinion. I knew I needed to leave. Do you have a suspicion why you weren't picked? Mm. You do, don't you? I can see it in your face. So this is the whole thing, what happened. Is there a day that you look back on and you go, that was the hardest day? Jesse, you shit! You're dead, bro! Getting that much abuse and I'm already down enough and I've got to perform. I was still trying to be Jesse, like, hey, like, banter, banter jokes and that, but of course it's going to affect me. He's not done much at all this season. I'm already going through things you don't know about. I felt like I had the word on my shoulders. In 2019, your mother was admitted to hospital. She couldn't really cope anymore. Did you ever figure out what the root cause of your mother's depression was? I think as soon as she had me, to be honest. Give me your context. What is the, take me right back to when you were in those early years as you signed and joined Manchester United, I think at seven years old. What was life like? If I'd been in your home, if I'd been in your surroundings, in your environment, what was life like? Um, life was good. Obviously, mum and dad split up at an early age, especially when I was born, which can make things a lot difficult. Um, but I still had the, the desire, the hunger, to go in training, my granddad took me in training, you know, week in, week out. You know, I had trials at Everton, City, Liverpool. So my granddad was driving up and down the motorway constantly, um, you know, to, to support me and, and take me to, to training and games. And then obviously made a decision to, to sign for United at, at nine years old. You know, we had a you know great team, um, you know, likes of Pogba, um, Ravel in the team. So we had a, we had a great team and... Um, I think outside of that, obviously my mum was very supportive, my dad was very supportive, was, you know, football mad, you know, so I think that support system, especially at an early age, is important. Did did everybody in your circle around you have high hopes for your for your career when you were that age, about 10, 12, 13? Did they think you were going to be a professional football player? I think my granddad did. Your granddad did? Yeah. He, I mean, he was on the Ashes turf pretty much every day, practising skills, learning new things um, and he had the the belief that I'd be a footballer and you know if it wasn't for him then you know, I wouldn't be in this situation that I'm in because he took time out of his day to take me on the turf you know practice my brother would come down my dad would come down you know we'd play one touch two touch football you know pretty much on a regular basis and that's my happy place that's where I'm, I'm most happy on, on a football pitch and, and like I say my granddad was you know very important you know, putting me into Liverpool, into City, into United on trials because, you know, people recognised, you know, their talent, but he was there to push me. I, I was watching the documentary and I saw um, a granddad who looked... 
it's rare to see. I mean, one might expect a dad or a mother to be that mm. pushy and direct yeah. and critical, but <laughs> to see a granddad being that savage <laughs> with you at times was quite surprising. Can you give me a for anybody that hasn't seen it? Can you give me a flavour of how how um, tough he was at times? Well, he got he got he got banned a couple of times. Like when I say we're, we're twelve years old, we're playing Stoke away. And he's come on the pitch after the game and said, you're not fit to wear the shirt. Your granddad's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. you. So you're not fit to wear the shirt. None of you are fit to wear the shirt. Blah, blah. I'm thinking, like, the coach is looking at me. I'm like, oh, I can't do nothing. He, he had me on weights at 10 years old, like lifting weights. Went into to Man United and said to one of the coaches, Tony Whelan at the time, he said, like, you know, I'm going to get my grandson into it. Because obviously he's a, he's a, he was a power lifter for Great Britain. Right. So... You know, he wanted me on the weights at an early early age to try and build a bit of muscle because, you know, I was always small. He kind of drove that from, you know, being a powerlifter, you know, for Great Britain. Kind of passed it down to me. Mum was a gymnast, so it was kind of tough on her as well. Mum mm-hmm. took it the wrong way um, because obviously she wanted to be a gymnast, but we kind of was so hard on her that, you know, eventually she, you know, she quit on that. Um, but even with me, you know, some games I'd, you know, not play the best and, you know, you get in the car on the way home. And, you know, I'd say like, look, oh, my toe was sore today. Like, just trying to make excuses because he was so, like, hard on me. But he was trying to push, like, it come from a good place, you know what I'm saying? So the reason why your mother quit gymnastics was because he was so hard on her? Yeah, he was so, so tough on her. Um, and obviously she didn't have really the motivation to carry on. Um, probably she weren't strong enough to, to carry on that. But, you know, for me, I, I always knew what to be a footballer. So, you know, having, you know, my granddad, you know, my dad, my mum around me at the time, you know, trying to push me. And it was difficult even at earlier stages because, you know, I was living at my mum's a couple of days and my granddad's a couple of days. And he's only down the road, it's like literally five minutes. But, you know, like I say, my mum couldn't really cope with me at the time. Um, you know, so I was back and forth from my nan and granddad's a lot. And then, like I say, like I say, driving up and down the motorway, Liverpool, straight back, back to Manchester. I would, I would train at Liverpool for one day, have a game for United the next day. So, you know, he put the he put the yardage in, you know, to get me where I, I want to be today. You said you you said though that your mother couldn't really cope with you at the time. What do you what do you mean by that? It's depression. Um, she'd be in bed all day. Well, most days, um, you know, I'd go in. Ask for money for the ice cream, like still be in bed. So me, I was hap- I was happy go lucky. Like I'm bubbly. Like what's going to play out with play football, with my friends. But and you don't understand, you know, the situation that you know your mother's in at the time. I was so young, so I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, until obviously it got it got brought to light. You know, maybe probably say. I was saying about 16, 17, you can kind of understand like what she's going through and, and things like that. But she'll never talk about it. She'll always bottle it up. So your mother was suffering from depression even when you were very, very young. Yeah. But at that time you just didn't realise what it was. No, didn't did, know it was. Did she know what it was? I think she I think she knew, yeah. But she would never at that time we didn't have really a support system to support her. She didn't have really people around her that you know, she could go to, like, she can go to my PA now and, 
you know, go to the doctors and, you know, she was sort all that out. But at that time, obviously, I think she knew what it was, but she couldn't really cope with it. She couldn't really, you know, how to deal with certain things. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm just a kid, so I was to play out, have fun, play football. But for her, she just wanted to go be in bed, like, all day. She would, she, she could drop me off at school. Well, she, she could drop me off at school at eight o'clock in the morning and then sleep until three o'clock until she picks me up. That's how bad it was. Like, she was really going through it. So she'd sleep all night, wake up to drop you to school and then go back to bed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She'd sleep in the daytime, pick me up from school, probably go back to bed again, just lay in bed. Like, curtain shut, dark room, everything. And then, obviously, you know, bath me, whatever, go um, before I go to bed, and then she'll sleep all night. Over the last 10 years or so, people have become more aware of what, like, depression and mental health is. And this is kind of why I ask if your mother knew what it was, because, like, 10 years ago, if I'm being completely honest, there was a real stigma around mental health. It was kind of seen mm. as someone just kind of being a bit crazy. Yeah. And over the last 10 years, thankfully, we've gotten to a point where we have a better understanding that we have physical and mental health. And this is why I say, like, did your mother know what it was? Did she just think she was just sad or, or she didn't have motivation? Or did she know she was depressed? Yeah, I think it was uh, probably the motivation part. Like, yeah. she couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't motivate herself to get out of bed. Even when they woke up, I was dying for her to be there. And I think she came for the quarterfinals. And that just made me so happy because in her situation, you know, not getting out of bed, not having the motivation, but she found that motivation to come and see her son play at the World Cup. That was, like, I was, I told her, like, I was really proud of her. Like, it was, it's brave what you did. Because, you know, every day in bed, depressed, no motivation and just to find that little bit of motivation just to come and see you know a son at the world cup and don't forget she's got you know i've got my little sister and little brother as well so you know she's got to deal with them as well um which is always tough but like i say to, to find that motivation to come and see me at world cup was important for me especially because i wanted to i wanted her there anyway regardless and i didn't even know she was coming until i was in the lineup singing national anthem i seen her you seen her when yeah. you seen really? And it just gave me goosebumps straight away. Like, I was so emotional after that. And I wanted to perform at the highest level and win the game just for her. And I think there's a there's a video on, on my Instagram of me hugging her for like two, three minutes. I've seen it. And it's just some things that can that can make you happier, you know, as a person, but just to be there and get up and get changed and get dressed and have that motivation to say son at son at a World Cup. That's what made me happy. This is a bit of a difficult question because it's not always obvious, but did you did you ever figure out where or what the root cause of your mother's depression was? Um not really, no. I think I think as soon as she had me, to be honest, I think it was just difficult for her to to handle having a having a child. Um like I say, my, my nan and granddad, you know took over most of the time but you know she was still there she was still a mother but it was just hard for her to, to deal with it and you know we had certain instances where you know we'd be in bed and she'd be like trying to stretch my legs and that like, I'm like what's going on like, what's, what's happening like, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what was going on I didn't know she had depression at the time I was such, I was such, at such a young age um, 
But for her, it was just normal, like normal for her. And she's like, you know, stretch my legs. Like, you got training tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Like, I didn't realise what was going on. So she had them, like, phases where, you know, she'd do, um, you know, some just extraordinary, you know, stuff. Stretching your legs, I'm confused. Yeah, just like, like stretching my groins out, like, before, like, we went to sleep. Just like, it was strange for me because I knew I'd train the next day, but for her, that was probably not, like natural and normal. Do you know what I mean? Like, it still, it don't, still don't resonate with me today. And probably doesn't res resonate with her today of what was going through her head at the time, like, especially when I was born. Like, could she handle that situation of having a kid? So you're saying basically before you would go to sleep, she was stretching your legs in a way that didn't make sense. Like, as in... Yeah, I was just like, I just want to go to sleep. Like, why? But I would never question, like, I would never question her. But she would just do, like, extraordinary stuff. And this lasted, this has lasted up until today, since as young as you can remember, till, till today. Yeah. And I think she'll, she'll, still, she'll still always have depression, but she can cope with it now, she can handle it. Because, like I said, we've got the right support system around. But still, it's... Like I say, I've got my little brother and sister who she looks after. And you know what? She's come on... My mum's come on leaps and bounds, to be honest. Especially from... Like, even a documentary. She was nervous to do that. Like, she was crying in the car. Like, the director spoke to her. I said, you're going to be involved in it. She, she was crying. Like, didn't know if she could with it. But, you know, she found the courage, found the motivation you know, to do it. And that's a, still a big thing, even though she's going through what she's going through. But like I say, we can we can handle, you know, certain situations now. Emotions. You, you said about bottling up your emotions. And generally, you know, I think men in particular have a real problem with kind of expressing their emotions for various reasons, because, we're, you know, we're ma macho and masculine and whatever else. But um, did you learn at a young age at all how to express your emotions? Did you see, did you have models in your life where, people were emotionally expressive? No. Only with... Only with my mum and my nan and granddad. Like, we'd always say, love you, like, how are you, you okay? But, like, dad side, like, not, not much. Like, rarely hug. More of a, you know, fist pump, but, you know, sometimes you want to see that, that loving side, especially from, you know, our father and... You know, me becoming a father as well, that's all I want to do with, with Hope. You know, tell her I love her, you know, express, you know, that emotion to her. Um, so I mainly got it from, like, my mum's side, granddad, nan, mainly. And like I say, I think my dad's coming to a realisation where, you know, we've seen a documentary and, you know, he's thought, what's the point in, you know, it's a short life, what's the point in, in arguing all the time? Because my mum and dad have never seen eye to eye. So I can understand from my mum's perspective where, you know, she don't want to see him, but my dad's come to a realisation where it's like, look, let's get together, let's have a coffee, let's sit down, you know, documentary really, you know, walk him up and, and realise life's too short to, you know, because it'd be coming games and my mum would be, be asking, like, is, is your mum in the box? Like, who's in the box? Like, who's in the box? And I'm like, my mum? But I'll, I'll I'll sit in the stands and and I know it shouldn't be like that, but you know that's how it is. But he wants that, you know, togetherness again. But I can never see my mum doing it. I can never see my mum giving him time of day, to be honest.
Has your mum been able to find a new partner since? <laughs> she picks, <laughs> yeah, she picks um, not the best people, to be honest. Um, she picks a lot of narcissists, but she kind of thrives off that for some reason, like the bad boys and, you know, the situation that we're in, you know, you can't be going out with these guys and doing what you're doing with these guys because, you know, it comes back to me. They've had a lot of drama with most of them, to be honest. And the last guy hung himself. Mm-hmm. Which was... It was deep. Um, but it... You know what Narcissa like? Like one minute, he'd be giving her the world. And then next he'd be like, who you with? Like, who you texting? Blah, blah. And I'm speaking, I'm, I'm like, mum, these guys are not good for you, man. Like, they're not good for you. But some, some, somehow she thrives off them situations and gets a buzz off it and becomes happy. So I was in a situation where it's like, do you want me to be happy and being with these guys or, you know, bring her back down to earth? So it's a difficult situation, but like I say, yeah, the guy, you know, hung himself in the, in the end. Um, and then I think after that, my mum realised, um, you know, she can't be, you know, dating these people. It's difficult, isn't it? I completely relate to, well, I can completely understand not that I've had that lived experience, but I can understand what you're saying with this conflict of, I want her to be with someone, but if it's a bad option, would I rather her just be alone? And then, you know, I was thinking as you are saying that about many of my friends who've been going through difficult situations with their mental health and what ends up happening, because there might be a gap somewhere or, or something missing or something not quite stable with you, you end up attracting someone like a mirror who is also mm -hmm. a little bit unstable yeah. who isn't in the best place and you're yeah. kind of a toxic together in a, in a mm. way and often I think with some of my friends it's like you just need to work on yourself first before you yeah you try and find someone who you know because a lot of the time we end up trying to look for someone that will fix us yeah which is never a good thing I think that's what she she did she wanted someone to because you know she's not she, she's got friends but she doesn't she doesn't go out with her friends and you know, be social. So I feel like her having, you know, someone there, you know, she could go to his house, she could do things with him, she could be happy. But on the other side, it's like, like they're not good for you though. Mm. Like, they bring, they kind of bring you down in a way. Manipulators and... Manipulating yeah, yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And they're well aware she, of your she, weaknesses. She'd believe it. Like, really? she'd believe like, like we'd, I don't know, we'd go probably, we'd go somewhere like me, my mum, Daisy and maybe Travis or something like that. And the guy be texting like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? Who are you with? Like, what's with the family? No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. And it's like, and my mum, I don't know, my mum's like dealing with this and I'm like, how can you deal with that? I'm thinking, how can you deal with this? I'm like, let's block him. But she just like, she loves the attention. She, she loves it. Narcissists target people like that, mm -hmm. that they can control in such a way, yeah. be coercive and manipulate and sort of take advantage of their self-esteem and stuff. That's what narcissists do. Because a, a per, an individual like that, a narcissist like that, would never 
be successful in coercion and manipulation mm-hmm. of um, someone who would go, what the fuck are you texting me when I'm with my phone? The <laughs> fuck do you think you are? Exactly, that's what they, saying. Wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't survive there. No. So they find that they find their way to people who they can... Easy targets. Yeah, exactly. Most easy target. And it's and difficult. She'll, she'll, never, she'll never back down. If I say like, look, leave, just leave him. She'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll block him, block him. But she'll unblock him the next day. It's tough, man. It's difficult, it's hard. It's difficult. Love's a difficult, difficult thing. Um, off you go into to Manchester United. Um, when did you when did you get in your view your first real break in Manchester? Um, probably when Jose come in. Really? Yeah. I not, mean, not in the staff. Sir Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex said, I'm, "I'll make it when I'm 23. When I'm 23, 24." So you know, I always. Believed in him, he always believed in me. Um, I think when David Moyes come in, I weren't ready to play first team football yet. And then I think, especially under Van Gaal, um, you know, it gave me the confidence to play. But still, it was difficult because, you know, I was at a stage where I played the first game under Van Gaal, did my knee, six months out. January came, went on loan to Derby. And then the season after, that was when it was that kind of make or break. So I left it till October time. And if I weren't playing then, then I knew I needed to, to leave. And then he played me at CSK Moscow away, Champs League. Like, starting. I was like, oh, okay. Freezing, cold, minus five, whatever it was. Rooney was like, don't wear gloves. I was like, what? He's like, don't wear gloves. I was like, okay. Don't wear gloves, played well. And after that, stayed in the team. So it's kind of a, that was kind of a make or break time for me. Why is that comment, don't wear gloves, significant to you? Because, <clears throat> you know, especially at United, we're brought up, got to wear black boots, no gloves. No long bottoms in training, just like the basic things. Like, we brought up with that. So when you go into the first team, of course in the warm up, you know I'm gonna wear gloves. But for the game, you know back to basics, how we grew up, don't wear gloves in the game. It's about values, right? It's just values. You know, it's morals. It's just the way you've been brought up. You know, United put that into us at an early age. A lot of that comes from Sir Alex Ferguson, right? Mm-hmm. I'm super. You know, I've sat here with a bunch of ex- Sir Alex Ferguson players, Rio, Gary, Patrice. How would you describe the um, the culture at Manchester United during that Sir Alex Ferguson period? What was the culture like? It was good. Yeah. Always banter. Rio, Scorsi, Giggsy. Um, you know, always banter. Even on tour. Um, you know, it's good to go on tour with him. And, you know, I think, you know, Rio being real always was there for advice. Always there to speak to, um, you know, on a regular basis. Like most of them, scores are the same. Um, Were they honest and critical as well, though? Were they tough? Some of those senior lads. Um, yeah, because they're winners, and you know they've been there and done that, and you know they won trophies before, and you know it was unfortunate that I weren't in, you know, any of the teams that, you know, won the prem or our champs league. But you know, even on tour, it was you know you still win games and. 
you know, going on tour with them, especially with, you know, Sir Alex was, you know, an amazing feeling. I remember being on a bench, me and Pogba got called up for, to be on a bench against Newcastle. You know, not knowing if I'm going to play or not, but still just to be there and see how, you know, they are in the changing room and, you know, see that winning mentality. And I think being at United is all, you know, it's, it's been instilling you from a young age that, you know, winning's important. Don't matter how you win, just win. And I think they've been so successful, you know, over the years, um, you know, winning trophies, just by having that winning mentality. So Alex Ferguson leaves. Now, it's funny because I'm a Manchester United fan, I'm a big fan, and I've had season tickets over the years and um, go to most of the games at home still today. And, it, and from what I've heard, it went from being like a, like a family to being run by Ed Woodward and it feeling less like a family. Like mm. one of the comments, one of the waitresses meant, said to me was, you know, when Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill were here, they would come in here and like chat to us and they knew all of our names, every single one of our names. Mm. And then when Sir Alex Ferguson left, one of them said to me, they don't, we don't, they don't speak to us anymore. It's different. I, Sir Alex was like man to man. Like, when we're training with the first team, you bring us like 16, 17 training with the first team. Like, it give you that confidence. Know your names, know all, like from probably under 10s to the first team. You know everyone's name. You take this time out to understand you as a person, understand your family. And like I say, you know, things change. Um, you know, but with him, you know, it was good that, you know, he could, understand the family side, get to know your family a bit more, um, you know, understand you as a person, you know, see your progression. Like I say, you said 23, 24, you'll be in the first team. You know, to hear that, you know, you can kind of get a big ego, but, you know, for me it was, nothing's guaranteed anyway. So I'm just going to work my ass off 10 times, you know, more, you know, to be in that first team. Rio said to me that when his granddad was ill, Sir Alex Ferguson not only knew, but he knew what, um, Rio's granddad's favourite whiskey was fa flowers were and he sent it to the hospital bed before anybody else he got it there so Rio said to me when, whenever I've asked the senior players why Saf was so good they all said they would all just before you even get the words out they'd say man management that's what you said there man as management. well and I think I think even this day and age now I feel like it's important even with Jose Jose used to FaceTime me like randomly a couple, a couple of times I'll be driving and be FaceTiming me I'm like where are you where are you kid I'm just driving home from Selfridges. Where's Marcus? Uh, I don't know. I think he's at home. Okay, enjoy. <laughs> just little things like that. Little calls here and there. Even, you know, Steve Cooper not going to ring me. Just have conversations. Wanting to understand you a little bit more. I feel, like it's so, I, think, I feel like it's so important. Why? Because it shows that they care. It shows... And when they care, you care back. Yeah. Right? Like, That's how care works. Yeah, like, I would understand you a little bit more than, you know, as a person, not just as a manager, as a person, like, how are you, like, how you operate. Not in football, like, I want to know you outside of football as well. Same with the lads, like, I want to know you outside of football, I want to get to know your families. And I think where I learned that from was England, with Gareth Southgate. Man management, top. Got to the 2018 World Cup. Got to the rooms, see a picture of me and my mum. See a picture of me and Marcus. I'm like, it's like we're home. 
So that when, f- when you got to your room at camp, yeah, in the hotel, like I felt like he was at home. He really has got the best out of England in my in my lifetime. In the thirty odd years that I've lived, I've never seen an England side that looks so happy and cohesive and honestly ego free. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and it's showing in the in the tournaments we're playing. We have hope. Like I was at, I was out in Qatar and I, I was at the, in the stadium for the England France game yeah. and. Even though we lost, it, I, I walked away happy because mm-hmm. we're playing great and, we, and we're challenging. What, what's he done in your view um, to that England side to, to create that atmosphere and that culture? I just think he understands, you know, us as players. I think when he first came in, he was the first person to give me a debut for England. I played with him at under-21s, you know, understood his values and, and the way he did things. And then, you know, coming into... You know, the senior team, you know, give him a debut. What know. are his values, in your view? Um, I mean, he cares about the players a lot. And like I say, he wants to understand, you know, the player. Um, you know, so for me, you know, being with him at, on the 21 level and obviously being with him at a senior team, you know, there's this there's, there's trust already there anyway. But... You know, it takes a lot to, to trust a person and, you know, for someone new coming into the team, um, you know, he still understands the person and, like I say, he wants that trust and, and the trust back. And, you know, you can speak about anything, not just football, you can speak about anything. And, you know, we'll understand and I'll ask about, how, how's your mum? How's your dad? How's everyone? Just little things go a long way. And I think, you know, the man, man, man management side of it, is, is very important, especially tournaments, anyway. But, you know, the group as a collective, you know, understand his, his values and, and the way he does things. Um, you know, so people new come into the camp, you know, it's easy selling straight away because he'll pull you straight away and, like, speak to you and sit you down and, you know, talk, just, just talk. And that's it. And I think it's so important. What's his, you know, a lot of managers are, are known for, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's... <laughs> One of the trademarks of his style is the hairdryer. I know that's kind of like overgassed by the media and stuff because you hear what yeah. um, a caring man he was. But when you think about Southgate's style compared to these other managers you've had, like Van Gaal and Mourinho and all and Moyes, etc., what's his style, Southgate's? It's different, but he's still got the the hairdryer in and all. Really? Yeah. Surprises me. Yeah, no, it surprises a lot of people. But you need that though because. You don't want a manager who's, you know, nice and lets you, you know, get away with little things here and there. Like, he's, he's, he's on it. Like, he'll tell you if you're in the wrong or not. You know, it doesn't matter what, what player you are, who you are, he'll tell you if you're in the wrong or not. But, you know, on the other hand, he still, he still wants to create that good vibe, you know, with a team. And, you know, he'll shout when, you know, it's, it's needed. But most of the time, it's just, you know, simple. You can speak to him, you know, we'll speak to the group, um, you know, simple words, you know, enjoy the game. We've, you know, we've been there before. Go out, go out, win the game, you know, have fun, do the tactics all in the week. But, you know, to have someone like that, you know, who's a, who's a good guy as well, I think, you know, it goes a long way, especially, you know, with the England team. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. 
And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Why did Manchester United not reach the levels on the pitch during that era? Because when I look at the players that we had... I mean, fucking hell, we signed some unbelievable players. It's not People often criticise the Glazers for lots of reasons, but when you think about the money spent on players mm. on the pitch, we spent the money. Yeah, It's like almost a billion, I think it's almost a billion, billion, yeah. billion we spent in players in that period. Yet we couldn't, we couldn't seem to win. We couldn't seem to get that cohesion right through that sort of Van Gaal, Mourinho era, and even the D- David Moyes era. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your assessment on why that is? Like, what, what, why wasn't it? I just think it didn't click. Of course it won. You know, with Van Gaal won the FA Cup, Mourinho, Europa League, Carabao Cup. But these cl- these world class players are coming to United, and I'll be honest, they're looking average. So they they would come from a club where they were banging, and, and me and my friends we celebrated our Manchester United chat. We're like, here we go, lads, mm-hmm. <laughs> every year. And then they it's like they've become half the player. It's strange because a lot of players have come in and failed. Like I say, you know, Alexis in training. Top, like this, this Sanchez, kid, yeah, like quality training, quality. Then it comes to a game, it's think clip for some reason. Don't know, is it pressure? You know, when I was playing, especially with Rom and you know, Alexis, we just wanted to enjoy football. And of course, it's going to be hard to win a Prem when City have you know been so dominant for, for many years, but even to win Europa League, you know, Carabao Cup, Community Shield. Like we're winning trophies, but I think when Jose left, then trophies stopped. And it's difficult. Another new manager. It's kind of like you you have to like kind of prove yourself over and over again. It's kind of like you know false like f- fake promises, really. Do you like, think that's what the heart of it? Yeah, like you know, you get like, uh, you doing well, like. You know, you're playing next game. Don't end up playing. During the the time under Solskjaer? Yeah, because I played at first and then obviously yeah, lockdown yeah. Box came. Box office, when when all first came in, you know, mm-hmm. you were unbelievable. Yeah. You were balling out of control. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I said to him before the season, you know, if I don't play X amount of games before December, then we let me go on loan in January. He said, yeah. So, didn't play. And then January come, West Ham came in, and still people was, you know, debating, you know, is he fit enough? Is he ready to to go into a team like that and, and start straight away? That nearly didn't happen, did it? It was off and on and off and on. <sighs> Honestly, <laughs> I was literally with my brother, watching Sky Sports News. Dave Moyes on the phone. I'm like, yeah, I'm coming. Like, I'm there. Like, you want me there? I'm there. Edward rings. No, you're not going there. It's off. It's done. 
was crying. I was, I was crying. Me and brother was crying. All I want to do is play football. That's it. Edward was right. It's back on now. He's, uh, I was want to do is play football. Let me let me just go and play football, please. As soon as I got there, hit the ground running. That's probably one of my best seasons, to be honest. Like, I think nine goals, five assists in from like February to May. I still didn't go Euros after that. And that was my main aim to go Euros. How did that feel when you found out that you weren't going after having one probably arguably your best ever year in football? Mm-hmm before at West Ham, when you were, you know, widely considered to be the most informed player in the league. How did it feel? It's heartbroken because, you know, growing up, I was what I do represent my country and play for England. And to not play the first half of the season, then to go to West Ham, and the phone I was in there, I could have easily took it into into the Euros, but didn't pick me. And like I say, weren't strong enough to probably say, look, why am I not picked? Would that have helped? Probably, yeah. Do you think? To get a to get a, it would a reason you. out of it, yeah? yeah. It wouldn't have got you in the team, but it would have helped you. Yeah, like what 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 could I have done to get into the team? Yeah. <laughs> Should I score 10, 11, 12 goals? I don't know. Do you have a suspicion why you weren't picked? Mm. You do, don't you? I can see it in your face. I don't know because... I can see that smirk. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I don't know because... I'm just thinking off, off form, how, how, how can I not be picked? Do you think it could be something else? Because your form, you can't argue with it. Can't argue with form. You can't, can't argue, argue with stats. Stats, stats the, don't lie. Off the pitch? Off the pitch, I was sweet. I was in a good mental space. So I don't know what it could have been then. This is what I'm saying, who knows? And maybe one day we'll probably get, you know, the reason. But to this day, not sure why. In 2019, as as shown in the documentary, your mother was admitted to hospital. What was what was what was the cause of that of that happening? What was the lead up of events that sent her to hospital? Just the depression. It was just so bad that she couldn't really cope anymore. And I think she needed to go away and get help. But then leaving me with my little sister, who was probably 11 at the time, and, you know, my little brother, who's probably like 15 at the time. For me, I was still going through my own things as well. So I weren't really the, the big bro that they wanted at the time. Because they always get like the fun, the laughy Jesse, the bubbly Jesse. But at that time, I was going for my own own stuff anyway. So I was just autopilot. Your mum's in hospital. You've got two uh, younger siblings that you're now primary carer of. And how are things going on the pitch? You're saying that you just weren't present on the pitch. Just weren't there. Like mentally, weren't there. Like I'd be on the pitch, but. Still haven't been a pitch. Really? Yeah, I don't want to play. I don't want to. I don't want to quit football. I've never quit football, but I would have needed a break. If lockdown didn't come, wouldn't need a break. One hundred percent. And is this in? This is in Old's first year or second year? Yeah, so it's second year, and 
I'm just going into games like just it's mind blank just it's on a pitch just, just, like, I didn't want to be there to be honest, so of course I'm going to play bad and then you're getting abuse that was kind of what tips it over to be honest after the derby game what happened so we won but you know as soon as you get on the bus it's no Jesse you shit blah blah like why are you playing for us blah blah and to be fair Luke Shaw backed it to be honest he came down off the bus and like started shouting at him, arguing, whatever. But don't know if it was Derby fans or United fans, but like I'm human, you know what I mean? Of course it's going to affect me. Like I'm already down enough anyway. I'm already going through things what you don't know about. And I've got to perform on a weekly basis. And when you're performing, you're not performing at 100%. So of course there's going to be critics and, you know, you're not, playing that well you know, but to be abused like that it's kind of what kind of what tipped it to be fair that was like I was like nah I can't this is, I can't be arsed anymore like I need, I need a break I need to find something some motivation some fire in my belly again to get going again because you know I can't I can't be doing this like and there'll be another game next week and I'll be like oh like can't be arsed I can't I don't want to play just during that time, that, that time period of everything that was going on, mom, looking after my little brother and sister, and that, I, I felt like I had the world on my shoulders. There's this really kind of like moving, haunting part in the documentary where I think your brother, your older brother, has vi- Louis had vid- videoed you lying on the sofa completely yeah. still. Your eyes are like blank. Mm-hmm. That's uh, how it was. Like, even at training, like just masking it. Just trying, like, masking what? Just masking, you know, the depression side of things, the anxiety. Like, I was still trying to be Jesse, like, hey, like, banter, banter jokes and that. But, you know, it comes to a point where you actually need to say something because I felt like just the world just was on my shoulders and had no one to turn to. Like, I couldn't speak to anyone about anything. I didn't want to speak to anyone. I thought, you know what, I can deal with this. I can handle this. I'm, I'm grown enough to deal with this, but come to a point where it was like, look, Ollie, this is what's going on. And we kind of kept it, you know, close-knit, to be honest. But even just to have, like, Ollie say, like, you know, how's your mum, how's she doing? Like, I could have a conversation with him. I could have a conversation with a doc. I could have a conversation with a liaison woman. And that just helped a little bit more. Just having that little conversation and letting people understand, like, what I'm, what I'm going through. And then I think I did a, I did a piece for the paper, um, you know, talking about it. And I still don't think people really fully understood, you know, what was going on until, until like, like I said, the documentary came out. In order for you to um, be able to have those conversations with the people, you first had to make the decision to like, for you to talk about how you're feeling. Because once you open up, then they mm-hmm. can give you that support. You talked about how it's difficult to do that when you're a young man. Did you realise in that moment that you were suffering with depression? Could you see see yourself in your mother? Or yeah, see probably, mother? yeah. I think the video sums it up, the one where I'm on the sofa. I'm just, I'm just laid for like three minutes, just, just staring to thin air. I don't know what I was thinking, don't know what was going through my head at the time. But like I say, like, I was I was, I was, was drinking, stuff like that, like before bed, like having night cap. I'm like, a lot about now, I think, like, what am I doing that for? Like, what I needed something 
So it's trying to take the pain away. And like put me at ease somehow. And like try and forget what was going on. But it makes 10 times worse. Do you feel the online criticism? Do you, do you are you exposed to it? No, don't read it. You don't read it? No. Have you ever gone on Twitter and looked at what people are saying? No. I think that's the worst thing anyone can do. <laughs> Some players must do that though, right? I think players do it, yeah. But don't know why. Because, to be fair, I'm strong enough to handle it now. Yeah. Like, I'm strong enough to handle negative comments, criticism, whatever. Can't show it in football. But there's no point going in searching for it point? You know, in a uh, sewer. Yeah, yeah, there's no point. Why, why search for it? Because I'm thinking about, like, you know, we talked a lot recently about players like Harry Maguire being on the receiving end of a lot of criticism and stick. Mm. In my view, some, most of it's completely unjust. Um, but I've always wondered if players actually feel that criticism and it impacts their game. Yeah, I think so. Can you see that when you're in the dressing room? If you know a player's, like, been slammed in the press or online or whatever, can you see th- them drop, like, their head drop a little bit? and then? Yeah, they probably try and mask it a little bit. Yeah. Just to like be strong, like I can handle it. But some like we are human. Of course, criticism is gonna affect us, especially when you know the pundits are saying it, and it's especially them, you know, with the pundits saying it more than you know a comment on Instagram or um or stuff like that on social or any any social media because it gets highlighted more, you know, in the press with um, you know a pundit saying it. So. Of course you're going to see it or someone's going to send it you. But then it's kind of masking it, trying to be strong. And then you got to go and perform. But I think the majority of players, you know, this day and age are strong enough to handle what anyone says anymore. You you did perform when you went to West Ham. You really, really performed as we've discussed. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting you to stay there mm-hmm. because you performed so well. And it just seemed like you finally found your... You groove, consistent, you scored the goals, you got the assists. What was your thinking at that point when that loan comes to an end? Did you want to stay at West Ham? Mm-hmm. You wanted to stay? Yeah. Manchester United wanted you to come back? Yeah. So I had a year... Yeah, I, was, I, I went into my final year after that then. Mm-hmm. And I still wanted to go on... I wanted to go on loan in Jan, so I went playing again. So Newcastle was on the cards in Jan. Deal was done, everything. Obviously, the United squad weren't big enough. So let a couple of players got on loan. And then when it comes to me, John Murtarang, he was like, nah, he, like, you're not going on loan. I was like, oh, well, he's gone on loan. He's got to let, let me score and enjoy it. I'm not playing there, so let me score on loan. Like, let me play football. To Newcastle? Yeah. And... um. He's like, what do you want? Days off. I was like, no, that's what I go play football. Like, what do you me... want? Days off. Yeah. So this is the whole thing. What happened? So then, they stopped the loan. Obviously, I was pissed. Um. And then when he said about the days off and that, I messaged him. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna take two days off now. Just because you said that. So then they put out. Um, Jesse's asked for two days off in the media. What? Went on Twitter straight away. No, I didn't ask for two days off. He asked me to do one day. I was put, I put it out there, the facts. How, 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 what was the dressing room like at that point? You know, because a lot of players were obviously when 
Ronaldo comes in, obviously, Ola eventually ends up getting fired, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it did feel like, you know, they use this phrase, oh, the manager's lost the dressing room. Well, there's, from a fan looking in, you could just see that there was something wrong with the culture at the club. Mm. Players were coming there that were world-class, as we said earlier, world-class elsewhere coming. They were becoming fucking average players. Yeah. You've got all of these, these rumours leaking. You've got all of this stuff happening. Players at the club feeling like their trust has been broken. Like you said, you've been lied to a few times. Mm-hmm. It just felt like some, there was no, someone didn't have control of the place. No, it weren't. There was no control, I don't think. Like you say, when Sir Alex was there, it was full control. Like a fortress. Yeah. A fortress. Everything goes through him. Contracts, everything, like commercials, like everything. Of course, generations change. Players grow up. People have a voice. What? Like you say, when things are getting said about you, that's not true. You're going to voice your opinion. Like I say, it wouldn't happen back in the day. It'd be squashed there and then with Sir Alex. But like you say, now, people have got platforms to, to voice their, their own opinion and write what they want. Do you think players have lost lost respect? Not in this sort of um, Eric Ten Hag era, but just in that period that followed through these managers and the, the social area. Do you think players, from what you'd seen, had kind of lost respect for the club? Probably, yeah. It looked like that. Yeah, probably. It looked like this wasn't the... The same, yeah. Well, yeah, no matches, control. Yeah, no, control, right? There's no, there's no structure. There's no, there's no balance. People doing what they want, pretty much on it. It's like, it's like a free for all. Free for all. Yeah, it's just a free for all. I mean, like you say, people saying something like, "That's never happened ever at United." And people are saying stuff on Twitter, and I think it happened with Paul and that as well. Like he got a lot of scrutiny, like. Guy's one of the best midfielders in the world. Like, I've known him since like sixteen. Like, kid's got talent, man. Like, he's one of the best midfielders in the world, and still he can't perform at United. So, so there's something wrong, in some way. If you got one of the best midfielders in the world, you can't perform, and then during the season when you have international break and he goes to France, and you see how he plays for France, it's like. Yeah. Guy's sick. In combat, like, playing with Lexus and that, I told you. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I can't, I can't say what it is. I don't know what it is. I enjoyed my time under Jose there. Like, I'm, I'd, I'd want one of my best seasons under Jose there. I was going to say that. Of all these managers, Van Hal, you know, Mourinho, all in the in Moyes, in the post Sir Alex Ferguson era, when did it most feel like there was control and that United was starting to be more like United? Um... Probably Van Gaal, to be honest. Really? Yeah. He, he had a structure. Like, everyone understood what he wanted. Like, some people didn't like I I love Van Gaal. Um, very tactical. Knew I wanted to play. And everyone bought into that. And then, of course, Jose, best manager in the world, just wants to win. But like you say, had that man management as well. And had the belief in me and the trust in me to, to perform. Like I say, I had one of the best seasons under, under Jose. That's how I went, went, went to the World Cup. If you could wave a wand then, if I give you a wand, then I said, okay, in that old era, in that post-Alex Ferguson era, do one thing to fix the club's issues. What would you have done? What would that one wish have been? Do you know what it is? I think like, they're so behind on, like, with everything. Like, you see, like, 
City's facilities, see Tottenham's facilities when we go there, like with England and that when we train at Tottenham. Like, like people are miles ahead. Even like, like the social side of things and that. I went to him like 2017 about like YouTube and let's do like content. Like they're so behind on everything. Like I just want them to just get up to date on like the new things that are happening, like the things that are popping. What does that matter? You gotta be relevant. You gotta stay relevant. But in terms of like the training ground, obviously Ronaldo in the Pierce Morgan interview talks mm, about the jacuzzi the and the, yeah. the the chefs and the food and the facilities and the weights, training equipment. The and he gym. left years ago. Yeah, he <laughs> says he came back and it was all the same. Yeah. What, how does what impact does that have on you as a player? You want the best things. You want especially being, like United's one of the biggest clubs in the world, so you know you want the best for the best and. You know, of course, you want the best food and, um, you know, you want the swimming pool and the jacuzzi and the sauna, which is it's still there, but, you know, just, like, be, be a bit more modern, like, you know, modernised, because, like, you see, like, you know, cities, facilities and that, and, like, you think, like, man, like, just, like, get up to date, like, catch up a little bit, like, because, like, you're way behind at the moment. Is it, is it a symbolic thing? Like as in, it's just a, it's kind of a symbol that you're not keeping up with the other clubs. You're not investing in the in the small stuff, mm. which as a player you go, well then, well, we're also behind on the pitch and we're just behind. Just behind in general because like back in the day we used to have like table tennis table and like, um, like pool and everything. So like, keep you like mentally, you know, happy and, you know, we had a dartboard and stuff like that, but not anymore like, there's like no games room or nothing and like you just you just go in you train and you go home sometimes you want to like stay at the training ground sometimes you know play darts with the lads and you know play table tennis with the boys and that but this is like like I say just need to catch up a little bit more and, and become a, bit, a little bit more modern of course they change like the canteen and that but you know to to be relevant and stay in this day and age, you know, you got to be more, a little bit more modern. Is that because of the the ownership? Is that the like the people at the, the top of the club just don't understand what's important for the, for the players because they they spent their money on players, but mm. to hear that they didn't spend the money on things behind the scenes kind of speaks to the fact that I don't know because Sir Alex Ferguson probably could have called the shots back in the day and said we need this, mm-hmm. we need this, we need this, yeah, we need yeah. this. Whereas these days. The last don't decade, who's calling, who's calling the shots? Uh, we don't know. Like, don't know what's going on. And of course, now they want to sell the club. But the fans have been wanting them out for, you know, a long time. But did the players care? Did the players take a view? Do you think? Mm, not really. It was just like I say, just, uh, just just behind. We were just behind on a lot of things. Um, and like you say, what you want that modern, you want the modern things. You want the things that are, you know, popping off at that time. But I don't know like who calls the shots about, you know, changing the training ground or and things like that. But like I say, just just to catch up a little bit and, and you see what, what City are doing and that. Like I say, fresh training ground, best facilities, no one talking back in the press about the, about the team. You... um. You, you chose after your time at um, Old Trafford, after your contract had come to an end, to go to Nottingham Forest. A lot of people were surprised by that. A lot of people would have thought you would have gone to 
back to West Ham where you had an unbelievable run or even to Newcastle or somewhere like that. Why, why did you choose Nottingham Forest? Newly promoted team. They'd just been promoted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why, why, why Forest? I think they showed the love. They showed, you know, the willingness and the hunger to want me. Who's going to fly me here, here, there and everywhere to, to get the deal over the line. Um, things broke down at West Ham, negotiations, which obviously I can't get into too much, but, you know, Nottingham showed the love a lot more than, you know, West Ham. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, I've been at West Ham anyway before, and you expect... Like, you see what I can do, I see what I've done. So you expect them to be like, yeah, like, you know what, like, we'll show you the love, like, like this is a contract, blah, blah, like, let's negotiate, let's talk. And they weren't like that for some reason. They didn't want you to sign? No, they wanted me to sign. They just wouldn't like, give you a good deal. Kind of rush it, it's like kind of rushed. Like, it'll be like Wednesday and they'll be like, sign by Friday, like, this is the deal, sign like, let's, let's talk, like, you know me. Like, I'm not- some respect. Yeah, like, it's just, but show a little bit of respect. Like I've been there. I've helped your team. Like we got to, got to Europa League. I show like a bit more respect on that. But Nottingham were just like, listen, like we love you. We want you. Like the manager will come to your house. Like the owner wants to fly you to Greece. Like to send the deal. Like er- doing everything in the power to get the the deal over the line. And you know, for me, it was a, it was a new challenge, different challenge, new from my team. <clears throat> of course, I've known. I was a bit known as United all my life. Um, and I remember leaving leaving United the last day. And the physio that we had from under 18s, obviously, is, is with the first team now. He's like, I remember the FA Cup goal, I remember the Youth Cup, you know, run when you when you won the Youth Cup. Like, I'll always remember that goal, like the, uh, the FA, FA Cup goal. So I got in my car, yeah, <laughs> started crying. Just, just started bawling, crying, like all the way home, drove home, yeah, I rang my brother, I was like, it's actually leaving, you know, I'm leaving, leaving, crying all the way home and that, like, I couldn't contain my emotions and that, and then, like, it lasted a long time, like, I've been there all my life, like, I know everyone in the club, from, like, staff, kit men, dinner ladies, you know, Mike Glennie, who scouted me, you know, to United and like that—that's been my life, United. How did you feel about the club when you left it? Did you feel let down, like disappointed? Yeah, a little bit. They say false promises here and there. Not really give you a reason why, you know, you weren't playing. So, yeah, kind of let down to be honest. Like I say, didn't really get a send off. Been there that long. I think I deserved one. But when you get in that car, or you. When I've been in the moment as well where I've like, I've, you know, quit my business that I'd started seven years in when there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees. And my first reaction, I've got to be honest, was like, I was, I was like, when I knew I was going to quit, I was so mad. And I wrote this email and it was kind of bitter and whatever else. But when I realised I was actually going to send this email, there was this little pause. Mm. And this is when I was in, I was in Portugal at the time and I got really emotional. Yeah. Because that's when you look back and go, I'm actually going here. Yeah. Like, it hits you. It hits you. Yeah. It's all said and done now. Yeah. And I'm I'm leaving, and so I redid the email, and it was like a really nice one. It was like a thank you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to like the, the board and stuff for taking the chance on me and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's tough, tough though, because 
that, that was tough. When he said that, when the physio said that, I was gone. I was gone, crying all the way home in the car. And people don't know that. Like people probably thought, like, oh yeah, he's, he's, like, he's happy to leave, but I needed to leave. Like, I wasn't playing, so why am I gonna like? I got offered a contract, but what's the point? Like, I'm not gonna play, so I wouldn't rather. Like yeah, biggest club in the world, but happiness is more important for me. And I needed to be happy and <clears throat> go somewhere where I'm loved. And it's been a difficult start to the season for Nottingham mm. on the pitch. Um, as we sit here now, I believe they're in the relegation zone mm-hmm. in the table. What's your What's your view on the start of the year for Nottingham? I think it's always going to be tough, especially with new players coming in. I think. 22, 23. Yeah, that. crazy. So it's always going to be tough, but I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like, especially the Tottenham game, the Palace game, you know, we started getting a bit more momentum. Everyone knows, you know, the roles and responsibilities now. We play with each other, um, you know, a lot more and, you know, we understand each other a lot more. So I felt like, you know, the connection was there, especially Tottenham and the Palace game. And then obviously now we've had a break, but I think the break can do us it was good to regroup and, you know, really, you know, reevaluate and, you know, see what what the main aim is for the season. And, you know, of course, we don't want to be in relegation zone. You know, what we're winning games and away we need to do a lot better because, um, you know, we're struggling away from home at the moment. But, you know, the home games can be really crucial and key because the atmosphere is it's nothing I've, like, I've never heard it like before. I've never been in an atmosphere like that for the game. Like, it's a joke. I get goosebumps every time. And I feel like we need to really... I think just dig deep. I think everyone knows what the situation we're in anyway. And just about, you know, maintaining, keep working hard. Of course, the attackers have got to score and, you know, we've got to do our job. Um, and, you know, it's, it's different for me because, you know, I've been playing at United and, you know, of course, we have all the ball and... You know, we're getting shots and chances and that. Of course, it's going to be difficult at, at Nottingham where, you know, you might not see the ball as much and you're not getting as many shots and you're not creating as many chances. But, you know, I thrive off these moments and these and these challenges. It's, it's a new challenge and, you know, I'm happy to be there. Um, you know, I love training, love love playing playing in the games. And that's the most important, just to be happy for me. Off the pi- Off the pitch. You know, you're 29 now. Players, I think that the average age of a player usually goes, I don't know, 32-ish, I don't know. What are you thinking about off the pitch? What's going on in your world? I know you've got your you've got your brand. You're doing several investments and sort of deals. You've got a media company. Give me a, a view of what, what that looks like. So even at United, I've always, you know, off the pitch, I've always, I'm always on the go. Always want to know what the next thing is to do. What's the next investment? What can I be involved in? What can I do? Esports comes, gaming, love gaming. Esports team, let's do an esports team. Brand, love fashion, let's do a brand. Like the launch for the brand was like, was amazing. I mean, like 3,000 people turned up, like Victoria, where else? And then at the night time, little baby was there, we got a little baby to perform. And he went even big, big then. Um. But I just want to, I just want to be happy and do things that I want to do to make me happy. And 
you know, the investment and the business side of things. Of course, I want to set up things for my little sister, for my little brother, for my daughter when she grows up that they can just go into straight away. And I think with the media company, um, it's called One Touch. Guess why it's called One Touch? Because <laughs> uh, you, you play One Touch with your granddad? Mm-hmm. So then it One Touch. Um, and obviously the Channel 4 documentary came from, from that. And I feel like it's just easier because if I do a commercial now, I say you do JBL commercial and they're getting the production and I can be like, well, you, you can use my production then. Mm-hmm. Like the talent can get paid and my productions you can get paid at the same time. So it's a win-win. And all the con, like anything that we do, that we um, video or record, we get last, like final say so anyway. So it's all under our umbrella. And like I say, after football, I want to go into acting. So maybe starting this now and maybe start doing a little bit of voiceover work and like, you know, the animation kind of thing. Um, but I need to take drama classes. I've not done that yet. Why acting? So when you think about your life after football, some people think about being a pundit or a manager or a coach, whatever. You're thinking acting. Yeah. How come? I just love films, man. I just, I've always been a big film lover and you know to be involved in you know a film or a series would be you know would be amazing and like I say I need to to really you know home in on on the drama side of things and you know learn like I'm really bad with lines to be honest what would be your dream role have you got an idea in mind for what Mm. what kind of like acting just give me an example. I think I'll start comedy. Comedy? I think I'll start comedy first. And then, you know, when you see the Interstellars and mm. the Inceptions, them kind of roles. But that's going to take time. Like, you're not going to be, you're not going to be thrown in straight away. Maybe a bit part here and there, but, you know, for the, for the for the future with, with the media company, we've got so many things, you know, in, in, in the lineup. <laughs> And obviously it's based in LA and that's where eventually, hopefully, I want to finish football. You want to finish in America? Yeah, I think so. At the very centre of your documentary is the story of your mother. I found this wonderful picture. What does she mean to you? Nah, she's everything, Mum. She's been through it, mum. She's been through it, and you know to see where she, like, where she is today, from where she was. Huge progression. So proud of her. And it can be hard because she's had depression for years and years and years. And like you say, having me probably made that worse for her. She couldn't probably handle, you know, being a mother at that time, but 
luckily we had, you know, none of granddad there to support us, but... What do you want for her? I just want, I just want the best for her. I want, I want her to see, you know, our, our kids grow up. I know she's so proud of me. Of, you know how far I've come. You know she'll still message me for a bad game or thing like that, which is good. Same with like my granddad, same with my dad, same with my brother. Um, but she, yeah, she's been through it. But I just want the best for her. And like I say, I want to. You know, keeping her in this lifetime long enough to, you know, see me progress, see hope progress into the character that what she's going to turn into because she's a character at the moment. You're proud of her? My mum, yeah. Massively. Massively. How okay. come? Just to... From sitting in bed, you know, the age that I was there, Probably, or maybe a little bit older. Not being social. To FaceTiming me every day and ringing me every day and Jess, what are you doing? And have it. I love that. And I think my little sister, like, she's fourteen, but she's she acts like she's eighteen. But I think she she helps my mum as well a lot, which is good. Because my mum never really had someone to, like, lean on. Like, not even my nan, like, not even my granddad really that much. Like, she's, she's not really had, like, a, a proper friend to lean on, you know, in times of struggle. But I think having Daisy there, you know, my little sister, you know, she's she's really helped my mum. And I think my mum, you know, thrives off that. And like I say, we're, we're, we're both daft. We're all daft. Like, we do, like, honestly, if you had a, if you had a camera in our house, honestly, it's just, it's, it's 24 7 carnage. <laughs> honestly. I believe you. We have a closing tradition on this podcast where the last guest asks a question for the next guest without knowing who they're leaving the question for. Um, the question that's been left for you is What are the uncomfortable things that you banish to the shadows, which means kind of put in the shadows, which would improve your life? if you integrated them. <laughs> Basically means what are the things that you put in the shadows that would improve your life if they weren't in the shadows, I guess. So I think just to question things a little bit more because, you know, growing up, I've, I've never, I never do that. Like, I've been put in situations where I could question things. Like, go and ask a question. You don't actually not get... But I'd never done that. And, you know, it's only took me over these last couple of years where, you know, I can finally, like, man up and, you know, be strong enough to ask a question. Because sometimes, like, sometimes it can take time for, you know, a person to, you know, to grow up and, you know, be a man. But, you know, having my daughter, like, changed a lot of things and, you know, like I say, if things don't go your way, of course I want to question, you know, things. But back in the day, I would never. Well, Jesse, thank you. Thank you um, for so many reasons. You've given me so much joy as a Manchester United fan um, over the years. I've, I've 
you know, not just because of your off the field, on the field performance, but just generally the, the personality you've brought into the game and the happiness you bring to, to your game. Um, but also the documentary you've released on Channel 4 is incredibly important, incredibly inspiring because it's starting a new wave of conversation around players' mental health mm-hmm. and really a call for empathy because we never, as fans, know what's going on out off the pitch, behind the scenes. And to have a view into that puts puts things in perspective. It kind of turns the lights on. And when you can see that full picture, mm-hmm. hopefully people will realise, as you've said, that you, you're, you're players, you're not robots. And that even one comment or one thing happening at home can, like all of us, like the rest of us human mm-hmm. beings, can have a really debilitating impact on us, our mental well-being and, and how we perform. And that's a really important conversation, one that you didn't need to, to start, one that you could have very easily just kept to yourself. And it's um, tremendously strong, uh, contrary to popular opinion, um, to speak out like that, especially when you're a man and it's not so easy to do so mm-hmm. because of the stigma. Yeah. So thank you for that. That's incredibly important. And I'm exceptionally excited to see the next ch- chapter of your life play out at Nottingham Forest, but then much further on beyond as you as you embark on a, a new career in a different industry. Thank you. It means a lot to me that you've no, come I here today. I appreciate it, Stephen. Pleasure thank to meet you. Thank you very much. one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.